20 minutes a day, 365 days a year. This is the Pack-A-Day Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Pack-A-Day Podcast, your one-stop shop for everything green and gold. My name is Mike Wellen. Joining me tonight, Jacob Wessendorf. And Jacob, it sounds like you don't have nearly as much snow as we do up here in Wisconsin. But it's still enough to have the tundra frozen. Yeah, the tundra's frozen a little bit. It's kind of like the wet snow on top of, like, ice. We had a little bit of an ice storm last week. Um, So we've got a lot to do. That probably explains why I've been on the show three of the last four days. Uh, So I apologize if you're tired of hearing my voice. Uh, But here we are. Talk some Packers again. Absolutely. And, yeah, up here we got about about a foot of snow or so on the ground up in in the an hour south of Green Bay area. So it's it's kind of fitting that how the Packers season kind of snowballed. It's doing the same thing now with the weather in February. But either either way, a lot to talk about with the Packers. Uh, can we do kind of a mixed bag tonight? We're gonna be talking a little bit about free agency, see what could possibly happen there, some options for the Packers. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about uh, the Simmons, the Mississippi State defensive lineman, and whether he might fall enough for the Packers to take a chance on him in the draft. But we're going to start on a little more serious note uh, with the Cole Madison news that came out yesterday. And I'm, I don't know if you guys talked about it yesterday or not. Uh, I haven't had a chance to listen back yet. But the story came out from Michael Cohen in The Athletic about uh, Packers offensive lineman, uh, fifth-round draft pick Cole Madison and why he didn't report for training camp. Uh, he was here in minicamp. He did went through all the, all the pre-training camp stuff. But during the stretch uh, between minicamp and training camp, he decided that he wasn't going to be able to report due to personal issues. And we finally got confirmation, uh, for lack of a better word, from uh, Cohen, uh, from sources, about why that happened. And for Cole Madison, uh, it was well known that he was very close to his teammate Tyler Helinski at Washington State. They were... They were almost inseparable. They were the best of friends. They that was they, they gravitated to each other on the sideline. And when uh, Holinsky uh, took his own life last year, it really hit Madison hard. And they're saying that that really affected him once the autopsy came out and realized that he had stage one CTE already at age 22. And I th- and they're so they're saying that really affected him. That really got in his head, and it really made him think twice about his uh, football future and what he, and what was going on. So, uh, me personally, and I know all of us at Packaday, we wish the best for Cole Madison. We hope that he can find a way to lead a happy and healthy life. And whether he plays football or not, uh, the important thing is that he does find peace and eventually find his way forward. But, Jacob, I'll ask you your thoughts on what uh, what you heard and what you have read about Cole Madison the past couple of days. Yeah, it's unfortunate. I know Ross and Jake talked about it a little bit on uh, Tuesday or, yeah, Tuesday's show. Uh, I don't know how deep they went into it, but, you know, it's – it's unfortunate. It was a commonly known theory, I guess, never actually confirmed that the reason Madison wasn't around was because of uh, the death of his former teammate. And Michael Cohen confirmed that, uh, you know, it's it's an unfortunate situation all around. Obviously, the death of somebody who was in their 20s is going to be that case uh, regardless. And, you know, I wish Cole Madison the best, like you mentioned. Uh, it's It's more important that he is healthy. Uh, and able to live a normal, healthy life. Now, from a Packers standpoint, I know a lot of people are asking all the time. It kind of became a bit of a running joke. Uh, maybe joke's not the right way to put it, but um, that, you know, hey, when's Cole, you know, any news on Cole Madison became like the sarcastic reply to anything because there was no news for most of the year. Uh, the reality of the situation now is the Packers, um, Fair or not, essentially, have to treat anything with Cole Madison going forward. Like, if they get anything from him, it's a bonus. 
Uh, but they have to, I believe, at least operate under the assumption that he is not coming back uh, to play football and to be pleasantly surprised if he does. Uh, but Madison's kind of up against it. I mean, I don't know, you know, they've mentioned health issues and mental health issues. I, I can't imagine that while having those sorts of issues that he's been able to stay in, you know, top physical condition, which is what is required to be an offensive lineman in the NFL. Um, so, you know, I think anything with him has to be treated like a pleasant surprise, but I would assume that Brian Gutekunst and co are operating under the assumption that Madison is not uh, ever going to suit up for green Bay. And I think that that would be the unfortunate way um, that they have to look at it, but I do think it's the correct way that they have to look at it. No, I agree 100%. I, I, I would be surprised if he ever does wear that pack of uniform in a game. And like I said, he was at camp last year, and by all accounts, he had a great personality. He was an affable guy was the word that Michael Cohen used to describe him. He, he got along with the guys. But you're right, with something that's this big as mental health, and it's it's that kind of can drag you into a spot where you don't work out, you don't stay in shape. And you have so much going through with that. It's it's a it is a big thing. And like you said, we hope the best for Cole, and we hope that he can find a way to eventually uh, move on, have a great, happy, healthy life, whether it's in football or not. So we just I just kind of wanted to touch on that very early on because I know, like you said, there's been so many questions over the past year about that to Packers writers, to uh, guys who podcast like us and and bloggers and so on and so forth. That's been it's been the biggest. It was one of the bigger things that came through over the past year when you try to turn away from what we saw on the field, which many people tried to do over the course of last year. But moving forward, obviously, uh, the last couple of days, the podcast here has been about the draft. And big thing happened a couple, a couple of days ago is, is in Jeff, uh, Jeff Simmons, the defensive lineman from Mississippi State, I think I got his name right, uh, tore his ACL during drills, during doing some position drills. And he confirmed it today uh, on Twitter and he affirmed that he is getting surgery on it, and so we'll see how long it takes him to recover. But a guy, he was seen as a potential top 10 prospect with what he could do. Jeffrey Simmons, making sure I have the name right. He was seen as a top 10 caliber guy. Uh, top 20 probably at the worst when he was healthy. And so it'd be under water. We saw this with Jalen Smith as well Notre Dame. How far is he going to drop and whether he'll ever be the same player? before the injury yeah it's a tough question to uh, kind of keep in touch with because you know in addition to the issue with the injury now he has some stuff in his past he was going to have to answer to some uh, violence towards a woman related issue uh whether or not there's actually a video of that i think we talked beforehand i'm not sure not that it matters or makes any difference but um you know obviously violence against uh women is unacceptable in any form uh and he had that to answer to and now he has injury questions to answer to from a f pure football standpoint on the field uh, i think you're right you know top 20 ish prospect one of the three best interior defensive linemen uh right up there with ed oliver and rayshon gary at least in my opinion i think rayshon gary fits better as an interior defensive lineman but it's a lot of questions now uh, i wonder you know how far it is he's going to drop me personally uh, defensive lineman coming off an ACL injury, you know you're not going to get anything out of him in his first year. I think the earliest, if I were the Packers, you know, right where Jalen Smith, uh, you know, you mentioned him from Notre Dame, and you know, we we asked a while back, you know, when he was coming out, uh, what what exactly would I be comfortable with spending uh, pick wise on him? And I said somewhere in the fourth round, I couldn't spend a top 100 pick on somebody that has a zero percent chance of making an impact in his first season. And the Packers, I mean, if you think about it, they have. 
four picks in the first three rounds. I don't think they could afford to use any of those picks on them. They have two picks in the fourth round. I think taking a shot on somebody with one of those guys, that's something at least uh, that I would be able to understand so long as character-wise and such he checks out. Uh, Sean Morris, obviously, uh, I don't want to get too deep into this rabbit hole, but I'm certainly a believer in second chances. And if he checks out in that regard, um, then I think that it's – that's about the earliest that I'd be willing to spend a pick on him is in the fourth round. And that's if at all, you know, obviously there's plenty of information that the Packers will dive into themselves, plenty of more information they will have access to that we will not. No, I agree. And and if there's any silver lining is that it happened this early in the process for Simmons, that there might be a chance you can, he can be on PUP and come back late, late in the year. Cause obviously it's like, a, it's about a nine month recovery minimum, which would put it in November, December. So there's a chance maybe like for like a late season playoff type push. But I, th- I agree with you. I think it'd be like a, a third day pick if you were to drop that far. Uh, I think similar, obviously you're a Michigan guy of when Jake Butt got hurt and, and he, and him coming back and he, he fell a ton in the draft because of any injury as well. I think with a defensive lineman, it's much of the same. When you think of how much you have to use your lower body, that, that that's a big time risk for for what could be a big time player. Yeah, Mike. One thing on that too is with Butt, it was actually kind of heartbreaking because that was a second injury, and I believe it was to the same knee. Uh, now he has two injuries to one knee and one for the other. So that was definitely a unfortunate situation. Pour one out uh, for my guy there because I definitely think before the injury, before that bowl game. I would have put Jake Butt, not right up there with O.J. Howard, but somebody that definitely could have been an early second-round pick, and he fell all the way to the fifth round. And now, torn ACL again, his career might be over. Yeah, and he's got to compete with former Badger Troy Fumagalli over in Denver, too. Just had to get that one in there. But, yeah, either way, that's, that's yeah, a Yeah, right. <laughs> hey, Butt's got one more finger, but that doesn't matter. But, <laughs> but either way, now is, we were talking about draft prospect. We've been talking about draft for a couple days now. There are other avenues of bringing back bringing players into the roster despite what you may have learned from Ted Thompson. There is free agency, and there's no doubt the Packers will be players in free agency this year to some extent. Whether they go make the giant splash is to be seen, but they have the cap room, they're going to have the space, and they have, without a doubt, the needs to bring in uh, some big players. And so I have the list from NFL Trade Rumors, and there's a there's a pretty large list, and I found it starting to go briefly position by position, see if there's any names that would stick out to you and whether you would want to bring them in. And the first one, uh, just because it's the top of the list, is backup quarterback. And a lot of people don't believe in Deshaun Kaiser. I'm not exactly on the Tim Boyle hype train right now either. I I, I'm just, I know Andy's going to get mad, but that's just my view of it. And I wouldn't be opposed to bringing in a backup quarterback to be the number two. And the first thing that popped out to me was was, was actually Robert Griffin. He he'd worked with the Shanahan's. He'd worked with LaFleur in the past. He's he he's one of the first people to come out and talk about Matt Lafleur publicly and had very glowing views of him. He was at his best when and with two functioning knees under Matt Lafleur coaching him, and so I wonder if that would be an option as a backup to bring him in and if see if he can and be that guy as an, insur- an insurance policy. Yeah, Robert Griffin was actually one of my favorite prospects. I wasn't quite ready to jump over and say he was going to be better than Andrew Luck, but I definitely thought the Redskins had done something very good when they traded up to draft him. And I still wonder, you know, what could have been had his knee not exploded on national television right in front of us. Um, but for somebody who knows the offense, knows the system, I'm all for competition. Uh, and making Deshaun Kaiser uh, have to be competitive to earn his backup job, because I think all of us would be agreeable to the fact that Deshaun Kaiser didn't earn the backup job last year. He basically won it by default because they knew they weren't going to re-sign Brett Hundley, but Brett Hundley clearly outplayed Deshaun Kaiser in camp. 
but they made the investment in Kaiser, so they had to go that route. But giving him some competition is not a bad thing. And like you mentioned, I mean, Tim Boyle, I don't want to, you know, destroy Andy's dreams or anything like that, like you mentioned, but I'm not sure about him either. Uh, again, having four quarterbacks in camp, that's not a bad thing, um, I don't think, by any stretch. And having somebody who happens to know Matt LaFleur's offense, at least to some degree, uh, can't be a bad thing either. So, you know, you're hoping, can Robert Griffin get you, say Aaron Rodgers has a high ankle sprain or something. Well, I probably wouldn't keep him out for a while. But, you know, an injury that makes him miss four games. Can you go two and two in those games? Because right now, if Deshaun Kaiser, and I was as high on Kaiser as anybody coming into that draft. So for me to say this, that's kind of how far he's fallen. But if Kaiser started four games, I mean, based on what we saw last year, he was – he scored zero points uh, for the Packers and gifted the Bears at least 10. And I believe he had an interception that eventually turned into a touchdown drive uh, for for the Lions. So the Packers are a net 17 points in the hole just based on Deshaun Kaiser mistakes alone. He didn't really make any plays to make up for that either. So having somebody in there to be competitive with him, I can't think that's a bad thing at all. Oh, I agree. And other names that have been bandied about has been Ryan Fitzpatrick, who I, I would not be thrilled bringing in. I think he'd price himself out of being a good backup. He's he's going to want decent money. Other guys, obviously, Brett Hundley is a free agent, so there's always a reunion possibility there. Uh, Josh McCown, Teddy Bridgewater's out there, Trevor Simeon, uh, Sean Mannion, Geno Smith is still out there. If you want to really go back, you can go try and get Joe Webb or Brandon Whedon at age 35, or, or even someone like Tom Savage, but or Matt Schaub even, but I think RG3 would be the best option for the Packers to bring in as a backup quarterback, at least in my personal opinion. Yeah, based on the names you mentioned, I think that I think that's true as well. But um, I don't know how active they'll be in the quarterback market. We'll see. I know they made, obviously, a pretty big investment in Deshaun Kaiser by trading Demarius Randall for him. So we'll see. But, I, I again, I'm with you. I don't think that that's a problem. You didn't mention any names that, like, really tripped the trigger, so to speak. Yeah, I know I agree with you. And, and so – uh, another question is, are, are they going to bring in a, another running back to to kind of be that that mixed third down type guy that the McVay, Shanahan, the Fleurs would really love to have, like a Deion Lewis type? And the big name bandied about is Tevin Coleman, who I am not I am not in favor of bringing in just because of the price with him. I think he's going to be he's gonna, a guy who's going to get the classic overpay for being the top running back on the list. Uh, other guys that are out there to kind of think about would be a Buck Allen maybe as a power guy, a Kenyon Barner. Uh, if you want a fullback, you can bring in Zach Zenner, Spencer Ware's out there. If you want an old man, Frank Gore is still playing and still alive. Uh, Jeremy Hill, guys like that, Doug Martin. So I, I guess, are there any running backs that you've seen that you would think to maybe bring in as a third guy with Williams and Jones? Or just roll with Capri Bibbs? Well, Le'Veon Bell, right? No, I'm kidding. Uh, um I'm no, I'm uh, turned off a microphone right there. <laughs> no, um, I'm I'm in favor very much. You guys have probably heard this theory from Ross Uglum. Uh, Ross always says he doesn't make the rules; he just enforces them. But I have ascribed to his theory: get right, get a running back in the fourth or fifth round, use them for four years, send them on their way. I don't see even even some of those guys like you mentioned that'll be relatively cheap. How much difference do they make? In regard to say, let's just say, just to throw a name out there, somebody I've been very vocal in supporting uh, for his draft stock. Not to make this a draft show again, but Miles Gaskin. If you draft Miles Gaskin in the fifth round, and he has a normal, well, I don't want to say a normal fifth round rookie's impact, but you know, if he does okay, 
uh, as a rookie, how much different is that than signing a another running back out there that's a free agent who's older, has more tread on their tires, and now you've spent probably – I mean, we're not talking about getting somebody for the vet minimum here. We're talking about a couple million bucks. And, I mean, I know it's just a couple million bucks, but when you can get somebody for the relative same production, that's just a better use of your resources. So not in favor of signing a running back. I, I know there was a story that came out today about how they should inquire about Duke Johnson – I'm not really about that either. I don't want to spend draft capital on older running backs. If they're going to sign a, or get a running back, draft one. I, there's a million of them. You can talk me into like 12-ish, maybe more running backs between pick 33 and pick 115 or something like that, and I wouldn't be opposed to any of them. No, I agree, so we'll put that to the side. Uh, the other big thing on offense, we're going to avoid tight ends because I'm sick of going into free agency for tight ends. It really hasn't worked in 10 years. Uh, they're they're bringing back Graham. We have Tanya back. They're good. They're probably gonna draft one, and so let's leave tight ends there. But slot receiver is another big one, big issue. It's not expected for Randall Cobb to be back. I'd like it, but it's not expected. And and slot receiver in the draft is still as always kind of kind of a kind of a crapshoot. So there's some slot guys in the free agency though that could be interesting. Guys like Justin Hardy and as well as like John Brown guy. Uh, Rashad Perriman, Cole Beasley, Tavon Austin, uh, Dontrell Inman, um, Rashard Green's out there, DeAnthony Thomas is out there, uh, guys like Bryce Butler, Chris Hogan. There's there's plenty of names out there that could be very, very fascinating to bring in. Adam Humphreys as well. J- uh, Jameson Crowder's the one who I would personally prefer. But Jacob, are there any slot guys in a free agency that you'd be interested in throwing some money at and bringing in to kind of shore up the middle of that offense? Yeah, you mentioned Crowder. That would be a name. I imagine he's going to get paid like buku bucks from somebody, though. He's definitely got name value uh, in regards to that position. I know he's had some injury issues, but I don't. I think somebody will look past those. Adam Humphreys is a name. Justin Hardy's played in the system before. Uh, Golden Tate is somebody who's a little bit older. I'm not sure how much money he's going to make. Uh, I don't. I don't know if um, I don't know if Golden Tate would want to come to Green Bay. I don't know if Green Bay would want him in specific because of his age. Something else that you didn't really talk about, and it's kind of speculation, but some names and as far as trade goes, uh, I know the Eagles have a decision to make on Nelson Aguilar. That's somebody I think you could plug and play as a slot receiver here and would do very well if they weren't able to uh, sign him. And then Deshaun Jackson is actually another one. Uh, you could throw in just a speed guy. Uh, you know, he's going to probably miss a couple games. He's been dinged a little bit the last couple years, but I have often thought that he's a perfect fit uh, for what Green Bay has needed the last couple years. Just put him in there, let him run by somebody. His speed alone is still a threat. Uh, so I wonder if that's something that they would look at as well. Yeah, that's a very fascinating thing as well. I think another guy for me personally that I'd, that I'd be interested in bringing in. I'm a big uh, Cole Beasley fan. I think. His stuff is, is very fascinating to see what he could do. And also uh, Jermaine Curse, I think, could be an interesting one as well. Another guy, he's a little bit older. He's 29, but he, he played well with Josh McCown. What, what did he do with Aaron Rodgers after what he did with the Jets? But, yeah, receiver, slot receivers, thing to keep an eye on as well. And then we get to offensive line very quickly. Uh, tackles, you can bring in a swing tackle. That's fine. Or you can hope that Jason Spriggs ever puts it together, which is probably too late now. He also draft the tackle, but guard needs to be shored up. Right guard especially needs to be shored up. There's no doubt about that. And there's some decent names out there. Obviously, the people are going to be going for Roger Saffold. That's going to be the big name for 
everybody, along with James Carpenter. I know Jersey Al's gone big for Carpenter over the past few weeks. But I guess, is there any guards that you thought of that would be good bring in, even if it has means breaking the bank for one? I don't know about breaking the bank for one necessarily. I mean, Saffold's obviously a big name. He had a really good year for the Los Angeles Rams until they got the Super Bowl. James Carpenter's another one. Um, I mean, I know this might be some nepotism, homerism, whatever you want to call it, but there's some whispers about TJ Lang potentially getting cut in Detroit. He could be a holdover because that's what you're looking for. You're not looking for a long-term solution to play guard through this free agency class. You're probably looking at like three to four guys, uh, or excuse me, three to four years uh, at the maximum. I really think, too, though, signing one that's a vet might be the route to go here for the right guard position and then drafting somebody to potentially groom for left and right guard. I think that's a position. Lane Taylor has done a pretty good job since basically being – in my opinion, I think he was put in an unfair situation by the Packers cutting Josh Sitton the way that they did and essentially throwing him into the starting lineup with no real reps with the starters. I didn't think that was a fair situation for him, and he's acquitted himself very well. But he's also a player that you can upgrade from. Uh, and the guard position this year, I mean, I think that we – I mentioned this the other day. Uh, I believe it was with Zach Jacobson that – the Packers have a very good uh, situation when they're healthy at both tackle positions. I don't think anybody would argue Brian Balaga is not a good tackle when he's healthy. David Bakhtiari, one of the best. Uh, Corey Lindsley, very good center. Both guard positions this year, however, were not good. Lane Taylor did not play well, and neither neither did Byron Bell, Justin McCray, any of those guys. You know, Justin McCray is one of those dudes who you're okay with him being like your swing interior guy, and he's not going to hurt you over the span of what? two to three games or, you know, however it ended up that way. They were just, they, they, they misassessed him. Um, if that's a word. So I apologize if it's not, as far as the tackle position goes, in my opinion, that's something you're going to have to draft. I don't think you're getting a veteran swing tackle because the reality is if he's any good and he's on the free agent market, he's either getting paid like a starter. So a gazillion dollars, like what Nate Solder got last year, or he sucks. And I don't mean to use that term like loosely, but uh, backup tackles in this league are bad. Nobody has good backup tackles. That's just the reality of the situation. Anybody who's watching uh, the Alliance Football League, the reason for that league's existence, well, one of the biggest reasons for that league's existence is getting more reps at quarterback and offensive tackle because those positions are completely underdeveloped. And that is that is just the reality of the situation. So if they're going to spend money, guard might be the spot to do it because I think you could find some decent values. Um, and there might be some decent values via trade as well. But, again, I think that's a short-term stopgap type solution. No, I agree. And as we switch over to defense, which is where most of the money will probably go in free agency, obviously the Packers need plenty of upgrades there. Defensive line, I think that's going to be more of a draft fix. Yeah, you have your three guys with Daniels, Clark, and Lowry that can start. They're, they can bring Wilkerson back if they need to as well, and you have Adams and Lancaster, and you have you have options there on defensive line. But, obviously, edge rusher is a very, very big one. That's been the theme for close to a decade, it seems like now. And there's some good ones out there. Obviously, people are going to be howling for D4, Javon Clowney, the big ones. Uh, are they're Those are the ones that people want to talk about the most, but those guys are going to get tagged. They just move it past. They're getting tagged. They're not going anywhere. Don't even think about it. But on the other side, maybe a guy like Zadarius Smith or Aaron Lynch could be options to bring in. Shaq Barrett's another one that's being... Uh, bandied about uh, Brian Rackpool just retired, but like Derek Morgan's out there as, as another edge setter. And I wouldn't be opposed to, if they would be willing to, bring it in as an older guy to teach in the Julius Pepper type role, like a Cameron Waker trail sucks. But I guess there's options in free agency for edge rusher of some good players who may not be 
Clay Matthews in his prime, but they're still going to be productive. They're going to be, they're going to at least make an impact for for a defense. Well, let me tell you this right now: if they sign Terrell Suggs, I know he's older and I know he's not the player he used to be, but that is one of my favorite players in the history of the NFL. I will be running, sprinting around uh, my little Rockford area town here. So. There's that one name I don't remember if you mentioned. I apologize if you did, but I, I think the name that makes the most sense is Anthony Barr. Uh, he's probably listed as a inside linebacker there, so you might have been getting to him here pretty quickly, but the guy projected pretty well as an edge rusher. He's a pass rusher. They just put him at off-ball linebacker to get him on the field in Minnesota. Uh, I know people are going to say, well, you know, him and Rodgers don't like each other, you know, whatever the phrasing is going to be there. I don't give a damn about that. Uh, Rodgers shouldn't either. And quite frankly, uh, from my opinion, I don't think Anthony Barr did anything wrong. Um, I, I understand why Rodgers feels the way that he does. The season just ended. I'm not expecting him to think rational. But I don't believe, and I know this isn't a popular opinion amongst the Packers fan base, but here's what I believe is if the situation were flipped and it was Clay Matthews hitting Kirk Cousins, Packers fans would be saying the same stuff. Vikings fans are saying to Packers fans now, get over it. It's football. Like Anthony Barr's paid to hit the quarterback. Uh, I'm sorry, but that's not a dirty hit, um, and I'll stand by that. And feel free to roast me or come hit, come at me on Twitter, whatever you want to do. But Anthony Barr didn't do anything wrong, I don't think, and I think he would be a really good addition to this Packers defense. No, I agree, and uh, I I thought about him. He's listed as a four three linebacker, but I I think he would be a great fit as well. Uh, besides him, I would personally like to bring in Aaron Lynch. One, it would weaken the Bears because he's he was productive for them, but also he's a guy who I liked even going back to college. He started out as a nose tackler in. Notre Dame, and he switched to edge, and he became a productive player on the edge for both in college and for the 49ers, and then to the Chicago Bears, so he's shown he can be versatile, he's shown what he can do, but need to say there are plenty of options out there. Inside linebacker, I don't think they're going to do anything in free agency there, I think they're going to, if they draft one, they draft one, whether it's Devin Smith or Devin Bush or whoever, or they'll trust Oren Burks, but corner's another one, uh, Brashad Breland's still up in the air, and it sounds like he wants to come back. Uh, there's, I know, uh, I don't know if you tweeted, I know some people tweeted about bringing back Sam Shields, which I wouldn't be opposed to as well if they can prove he, he can be healthy because he he apparently has no ill will toward Green Bay at all. And there's, but otherwise there there's not a great market for corners in this free agency class. There's a lot of guys who are Jags. They're just a guy. I mean, the biggest name might be Morris Claiborne again. Yeah, and uh, you know, corner is kind of like uh, offensive tackle, like I mentioned, you know. Or edge rusher, like you just mentioned. The good ones don't hit the market uh, more often than not. I did mention Sam Shields recently. I don't think Green Bay will ever do that. Uh, but if it's something that they would do, I wouldn't. he would be better in the Devon House role last year than Devon House was, uh, which isn't saying much. But you're asking him to be your fifth corner because obviously next year the Packers want to see growth from uh, guys like Josh Jackson, Jair Alexander, uh, Kevin King, Tony Brown. Ideally, they want that veteran to be their fifth guy. Breland, he's somebody who I think has a chance to be an impact player. I think he's a good player, uh, but I wouldn't be breaking the bank for him either. I mean, if we're talking five mil a year over the next two or three seasons, I'm in. Uh, Anything above that, I I don't know. Corner, uh, you know, and that's the other reality is Green Bay's got a lot invested at that position, and they need those young guys to come through. Uh, If you're doing a veteran, again, I think you're thinking the Devon House type role where, He's the fifth corner. He's a vet. He knows the defense. He can help the young guys. But he only plays if he absolutely has to uh, because of injuries or something like that. But 
I can't picture them doing a whole lot as far as the cornerback position goes. No, no, I agree. And I think Breland would be like the extent of what they would do and maybe like a Sam Shields type guy or just a guy for special teams. But the other side is safety, which definitely needs a massive upgrade. Uh, obviously, Tremont Williams played there last year. Josh Jones, it, we still kind of juries out of what we see. I still want him in that hybrid inside linebacker type role, that Dalen Buchanan role, who's also a free agent, by the way. Uh, that's where I want Josh Jones. But what they need that true center field safety. They need that deep, that free safety who can roam around. And I'm not saying go be Nick Collins because that's not going to happen. But if they they need somebody, whether it's through free agency, through a draft, through a trade, through finding a way to get Earl Thomas away from Dallas, is you need that that deep safety. That's that makes everything so much easier, and that makes Mike Penn's job so much easier. And that's why I, I'm not in huge favor of guys like Trey Boston or Adrian Amos who are free agency because they're not exactly that type of role. And the closest one I think might be Teron Matthew, who can maybe play that type of role. Uh, and Collins can a little bit, but not too much. But obviously Earl Thomas is the big one. But are there are what safeties would you be looking at that's not named Earl Thomas? Well, now you're killing me because I would have said Earl Thomas. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, everybody seems to have this idea that Earl Thomas is signed and sealed to the Dallas Cowboys, and I just don't see how that's possible. Uh, the Cowboys have to give money to Demarcus Lawrence. Uh, they have to give money to Amari Cooper, to Dak Prescott, and Ezekiel Elliott. And Dak Prescott's already come out and said there is no hometown discount. Zeke Elliott's not taking a hometown discount. Demarcus Lawrence definitely is not taking a home. So if they're going to sign Earl Thomas in favor of letting one of those guys walk, sure. But I don't think they're going to be able to do that. So I definitely think Earl Thomas is an option for Green Bay. You mentioned other guys. Trey Boston, I think, can play that deep safety role a little bit better than you gave him credit for. But I agree, it's not like he's going to be Nick Collins or something like that that you mentioned. Lamarcus Joyner is going to make a ton of money, um, I would imagine. But that's another guy whose name. But the, the box safeties, Adrian Amos, Landon Collins, uh, I, I don't understand personally the obsession that Packers fans have with box safeties. I know Amos and Collins are better players than Josh Jones has ever shown. But, again, it's kind of back to that running back situation I had. Is paying Landon Collins $10 million to do Josh Jones's job better really going to make you that much better? Now, that's not to say that it wouldn't because, I mean, obviously it would make them a little bit better. But I don't know about enough to justify the cost that's going to happen. Plus, I got a friend of mine who's a Bears guy, and he told me that Adrian Amos seems to have a very high opinion of himself. So he's going to want a lot of money, too. So that's I'm not into the box safety thing. I know that center field type free safeties don't grow on trees. That's why you've seen you know, the Packers haven't had one since Nick Collins. That was 2011. That was eight years ago. That's a long time to try and replace that role. But that's where they're at. Uh, they got to find somebody that can do that a little bit. Um, I think if they're going to spend big, quote-unquote, on a free agent, Earl Thomas should almost be near the top of that list, uh, right there with a guy like Anthony Barr. No, I agree. I think he's at the top of that list. And my, my dream scenario is they sign Earl Thomas to a two- or three-year deal and draft Nasir Adderley and train him for a couple years and let Adderley take over and become that. Because Adderley reminds me so much of Nick Collins with the way he plays that I think that could be another small school guy, crazy athletic kind of came out of nowhere and, and is now emerging as a prospect, whereas no one knew who Nick Collins was when he was drafted out of Bethune-Cookman. No one had heard of the guy, and look what he became. He was on a Hall of Fame path before he headbutted the posterior of Jonathan Stewart. But that'll that's a brief free agency primer. We'll do more of it as we get closer to the new league year, which will be in about a month from now. So as we wrap things up, Jacob, where can people find you and what are you working on? Well, right now I'm working on the Cheesehead TV draft guide, the tight end position. It's one of the biggest positions in need for the Packers. Mike, you mentioned that you're tired of 
um, getting free agents at the position because it hasn't worked out. While the good news is there's a lot of good tight ends in this class, a lot of guys I really like. Uh, be sure to check that out. Twitter-wise, you can find me at Jacob Westendorf. Uh, from a writing standpoint, uh, not not a whole lot going on right now, um, but that's okay because uh, the podcast stuff has me going. I've got this going on a couple times a week. I've got the War Room podcast with Ross Uglum and Cody Bauer over at PackersTalk.com, and then I have Pulse of the Pack every week on Sundays uh, with Jason Perrone. So I am plenty busy, and you guys, like I mentioned, are probably tired of hearing my voice, so I should probably take a week off or something like that. Fair enough. You guys can find me at Mike Wellen on Twitter. I'm writing for Dairyland Express right now. I'm still working on my Badger hockey article. That should be done in the next couple of days. Uh, I'm also on the Dairyland Talk podcast talking Brewers baseball, as well as obviously here on Packaday, and I do my own stuff uh, called Beyond the Microphone where I talk about just sports topics from a broadcaster's perspective sitting at the scorer's table. Also follow us as well at Packaday Podcast on Twitter. They they, they, they do a good job of tweeting all, retweeting all of our stuff that we can also try and get us a bigger, wide-ranging audience. Also follow us wherever good podcasts are found, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Spotify. We are there. And give us a like, comment, subscribe, all that fun stuff. So for Jacob Westendorf, this is Mike Wendland signing off for this time. So stay warm, stay clear, and go Pack Go! the 16 of New York. First down, goal to go. Rodgers in the shotgun. Williams to his left. Here's the snap. Rodgers clean pocket. Throws the middle of the end. And a dagger. They beat Morris Playboard. To the back line of the end zone. The Packers have won it. Snap to Wild. Oh, yes. And taken by Jackson in the end zone for a touchdown. Geronimo Jackson, the rookie, recovers in the end zone in a Lambo lead to the north end zone stand. The Packers have a 6 nothing lead. Pepper on third down of three in the shotgun. Packers showing a blitz, and here they come. Pepper looking, hit as he throws it, deep down the right sideline, and Inside the 30 of the 28-yard line. Hunter Bradley, the snap. J.K. Scott down on one knee, arm extended. Here it is. Placement made. Kick is up. It is good! It is good! Mason Crosby delivers the dagger! One week after his worst day ever, he delivers the dagger tonight! Third and five. 13-yard line of Atlanta. Snap, Ryan. Looks right. Close right to the Intercepted to the house. Bishop Freeland. Touchdown. Green Bay Packers. 19-yard interception return. And it's 16-7 Packers. Rodgers looks it over. Takes the snap. Blitz on. They pick it up. Lost they got him. They got him.
67 yards. 